What's up, you guys? Welcome to this episode of the All Gas, No Breaks, Living with Physical Disability Podcast. It's your boy, Daniel McDade. I'm a 43-year-old software engineer living in the suburbs of Dallas, Texas, and I've lived my entire life with severe physical disability. I'd like to think I've attained far more success in life than most anyone would have guessed when I was a kid. If you had come across me out and about, you would have immediately thought there was no chance I'd be able to live the life that I do now as an adult. To be perfectly honest, I was pathetic looking. I was undersized. I was scrawny. I was all skin and bones. I still am. And I'm sure it looks as though I could really do much of anything for myself. I imagine strangers still see me in the same way they did when I was young. While this may seem like some harsh self-reflection, it makes sense. As a general rule, society tends to put very low expectations on individuals with disability. The more severe the disability, the lower the expectations. This is true for both the physically disabled as well as those with an intellectual disability. This is obviously born out of a long-standing societal perspective on disability. But what are the origins of this perspective? I'm a firm believer that a person cannot truly move forward in life until they have a good understanding of their past. This last point is the basis of the next two episodes, aptly named Tap the Brakes. As I began my research, I came across a famous Winston Churchill quote, Success is not final, failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. You could easily say this quote encapsulates my life to a T. I'd like to think this Churchill quote could also easily be said about all of those disabled individuals who have faced a life full of unique challenges, just as I have. Let's pretend I had been born during the earliest days of prehistory. At this point in time, people lived very basic lives. Their daily routines primarily consisted of nothing more than pure, unadulterated survival. You hunted. You gathered. You tried to confront or outrun whatever threat was chasing you. Imagine two slope-headed, slack-jawed, buck-toothed cave parents, excited to see their cave family expanded by one. We will call them Kurt and Karen. Kurt and Karen had great affection for one another, so one night, Kurt drags Karen into their cave. Nine months later, Karen is struggling in a final battle to get this cave baby out. After hours and hours of intense labor, they welcome their precious little cave baby into the world. But there's only one problem. Their little one looks as though he's already been maimed by a woolly mammoth. His arms, his legs, and even his hands don't appear to work right. They exchange some blank stares at one another, letting out some confused grunts in an attempt to wrap their feeble brains around their current plight. What assignment of value do you think they would have placed on this life? My life. After all, their entire existence was spent just trying to survive. And now, you've got a baby who can't hunt, who can't gather, and who won't be able to fight or outrun threats, no matter how long he lives. Do you honestly think they'd simply drag this little abomination around? It's not hard to imagine. I would have either been quickly sent to the afterlife with the aid of a huge rock, or worse, I would have been abandoned in the woods to die a very painful death. While I do think this silly little hypothetical would represent a possible scenario, there's now plenty of evidence that suggests our prehistoric ancestors exhibited more care and compassion towards their disabled than we might have thought. 45,000-year-old skeletal remains discovered in 1957 along the Turkish-Iraqi border point to a much kinder, gentler Neanderthal. Among the remains at this burial site in the Shanidar Cave was a male, believed to have lived to around the age of 40 to 50 years old. 
This fact alone is noteworthy, since most adults during this period died at early ages, for obvious reasons. What made this discovery truly fascinating, however, was that it was clear upon examination that this adult male had lived a large portion of his life with severe physical disability. There was evidence of blindness, deafness, and limb damage. The right arm was amputated at the elbow, and there was extensive injury to the lower leg. It's obviously impossible to determine exactly when the limb damage occurred. Did he survive an attack from an animal as a younger man? Did he become disabled during a domestic dispute with his own Karen? We can't answer those questions with any certainty, but for this guy to have lived to this old age with these limitations shows that these once thought of primitives were capable of true compassion toward their disabled. 7,500-year-old remains discovered in Florida point to a 15-year-old who showed some signs of spina bifida. As a burial site in northern Vietnam, the 4,000-year-old remains of a young male showed severe paralysis that would have happened pre-adolescence. The remains found in Italy of a 4,000-year-old female showed signs of polio. She lived to be around 15 years old. She was clearly well cared for, given that her teeth rotted from cavities caused by the sweet dates her caretakers continually fed her. In each of these cases, there's almost no chance any of these people could have lived, much less survived, without the support of loved ones. There is no clear-cut evidence of congenital disability in any of these archaeological findings. Even the 15-year-old who showed signs of spina bifida is inconclusive. As such, it's impossible to know if Kurt and Karen would have given me a quick death or left me to die in the woods or possibly even tried to raise me the best that they could. I think we can safely assume someone with my condition would not even have survived birth. The infant mortality rate was certainly very high during these times, and we can only assume the infant mortality rate would have been even higher, if not close to 100%, for someone in my situation. Even when I was born in 1978, they had to go in and extract me from my own mother. I had somehow flipped myself around in the womb and was attempting to exit feet first. I always joked that my infant self somehow knew the struggles I would face in life and just decided, you know what, I'm going to turn around and call it quits. The age of the Greek Empire paints a contradictory picture in how the disabled might have been viewed and treated. Much of an individual's perceived self-worth during this time was baked into this notion that one's value to the gods was predicated on physical ability. As such, if you were born with congenital birth defects, what value do you think would be placed on such individuals? Again, this question presupposes such births were even a normal thing during this period in history. It's not a stretch to assume they weren't normal at all. I seriously doubt someone like me even survived birth outside of an extremely rare occurrence. Much of modern academia depicts the ancient Greek Empire as a cruel, heartless period for the disabled. This is largely based on some literary references that speak to infanticide as a normal practice, especially in the case of infants born with physical deformity. Plutarch wrote of the Spartan custom of leaving ill-formed infants to exposure. It's thought that parents were legally required to allow Spartan elders to inspect their newborns. If the inspectors deemed your child unfit, the father was forced to get rid of it. Similar thoughts on newborns were written by Aristotle and Plato. The primary reason to downplay these references is because much of these thoughts were speaking in terms of a hypothetical utopian society. 
While this utopian model might reflect the views or desires of the respective author, it does not necessarily mean it was a direct reflection of what was actually going on across Greece during these times. Now, this doesn't mean there is no evidence to support the claim of infanticide of physically disabled newborns, but this notion that it was a universal practice is not fully grounded in fact. There is some evidence, actually, to the contrary. This is found in physicians' documentation of the time. In the Hippocratic Corpus, there are several accounts where both children and adults were treated for various physical disabilities, such as club foot and cleft palate. Both of these conditions are congenital and would have been clearly present at birth. If disabled newborns were simply cast aside or left to die, the historical record of physicians would not speak of such treatment plans. It's obvious, not only were newborns allowed to live with these conditions, care was provided on an ongoing basis. Throughout this period of history, examples can be shown of parents actively seeking out treatment for their disabled children. If treatment was not an option, parents would seek the help of the gods via oracles or the practice of magic. Of course, it's clear that newborns and children were not the only disabled living during these times. Due to malnutrition, disease, and just the general brutality of life at this point in history, many individuals became disabled only after they were grown. No doubt life was hard. A disabled adult could take on whatever work wasn't limited by their disability, such as a blacksmith, maybe a potter or a jeweler. Short of these options, sadly, many disabled were sold into slavery. For a large number of disabled individuals, they would become beggars if they were not fortunate enough to have the support of family. And even that did not guarantee these individuals did not become destitute. The disabled in ancient Rome were often labeled as monstrum. If you're thinking this term sounds a lot like monster, you'd be correct. This is the same term they would use to talk about mythical monsters like Medusa. The Romans actually had what were called monster markets, where the anomalous bodies of the physically deformed were put on full display for the general public to gawk at. Ironically, though, many Romans considered hunchbacks good luck and were bought as slaves by the rich for this very reason. Go figure. In a lot of cases, the disabled could better their situation by serving as entertainment to the ruling elite. This could be seen all over during ancient Greco-Roman times. Hunchbacks and dwarfs would serve as dancers, singers, actors, and jugglers at court. They would obviously be ridiculed and treated with derision in these roles, but it did give the disabled a legitimate place in society, as debased as that role may have been. This fact, while seemingly cruel, was probably not as terrible an option as it seems. We would now clearly view such a situation as abhorrent. It was thought by many in this period of history that blind individuals were given the gift of prophecy. You see several references to the blind serving in the role of seer all over ancient Greece and Rome. This would be one of the few examples I could find where a disabled individual's perception by others might have actually improved due to their disability. During this period of history, views on disability were almost completely based on a religious model. For most, being born with some type of disability or becoming disabled later in life, was seen as a sign of disfavor from the gods. Despite this universally held belief, both the Greeks and Romans believed in a god who was actually physically disabled. The Greeks called him Hephaestus. The same god was known as Vulcan to the Romans. He was the god of fire. He was a blacksmith who walked with a cane in many of the depictions. 
there is some debate whether his disability was congenital at birth or occurred after birth. But in any case, he is referred to as the only ugly god among all of the perfect immortals. If that doesn't succinctly capture Greco-Roman views on disability, I don't know what does. Even their disabled god was considered ugly. Despite being considered ugly, this god does play a big role in mythology. The Greek version is said to have forged Achilles' armor and created Cupid's arrows. Viewing disability purely through a religious lens probably also feeds the long-held belief that infanticide was of common practice. If parents believed a child was cursed, it's not a stretch to think they might have abandoned it from the jump. While I certainly think this happened a fair amount, I'm of the opinion that it was not done purely based on the physical condition of the newborn. We've already seen plenty of examples of physically disabled individuals living among their able-bodied counterparts during the age of the Greco-Roman empires. I would argue that the specific family situation a child was born into was just as big of a factor as the able-bodiedness of the child. It was not unheard of for poor families to simply abandon their newborns because they simply didn't have the financial means to care for it. It's not like birth control or abortion was a thing in those days. And while I'm sure there were ways to prematurely end an unwanted pregnancy, I'd guess babies were still carried to term a lot, even when it was known the child would ultimately not be kept. In a crazy bit of irony, there are actually historical references that poor families would intentionally harm their perfectly healthy newborns just to make them more attractive or successful as beggars. Wow, that's insane. Yeah, yeah, honey, we're going to have to break his legs. Yeah, it's tough out in these streets. Uh, we need that extra money. It should be obvious from my previous comments that the quality of life lived by individuals during these times was greatly impacted by the social standing of their family. The same is clearly true for disabled individuals as well. If you were fortunate enough to be born into a stable family with the resources and means to provide a good life, you clearly had an infinitely greater chance to succeed than you did if born into an unstable situation with little access to good medical care. As should be obvious, things are... They were not much different in these times than they are now in this regard. We are all pretty much a large byproduct of the environment which we are born into. A prime example of this reality is the life of Claudius Augustus. Claudius was Rome's fourth emperor, rising to power in 41 AD. Claudius is also thought to have been born with either cerebral palsy or Tourette syndrome. He had tremors of the head and hands. He walked with a limp, and he would sometimes foam at the mouth involuntarily. He was born to a family of high social and political standing, so he was raised, cared for, and given a proper education, even with all his physical ailments. Despite his eventual rise to power as emperor, Claudius' story is also very reflective of the stigma of physical disability during this time. While officially claiming him as one of their own, his family was publicly embarrassed by association. He was intentionally kept out of public view growing up. The family tried desperately to shove Claudius down the line of succession, as he was given lower-level appointments to keep up appearances. His sister prayed once that Rome would never have to endure him as becoming emperor. His young nephew Caligula, who himself would become the third Roman emperor, would make fun of him publicly and would encourage guests to pelt Claudius with food when he would fall asleep at dinner parties. His own mother, get this, his own mother once said he was a monstrosity of a human being, one that nature began 
and never finished. Yikes. It's also said that Claudius was very unlucky in love during his life. He was married four different times before his eventual death in 54 AD. With mommy issues like that, it's not hard to see why. At least she didn't sell him into slavery, right? It's a thought that Claudius was extremely clever, actually, and wanted others to think his physical disabilities also made him dim-witted. He used this as a way to disarm his political opponents into thinking he was mentally weak, whereby giving him a tactical advantage. In the interest of full disclosure, I may have employed this strategy once or several hundred times during my life. I know this probably makes me seem like a horrible person, but people are going to see it here what they want to see it here. In a lot of cases, it's just easier to let the ignorant continue to be ignorant. Based on this claim of mind games, I have to agree or imagine that Claudius felt the same way. It's stating the obvious, but people living in this period of history didn't enjoy all the conveniences we do now. There was no technology to make life easier. Most of a person's life was spent performing backbreaking work, unless you were super wealthy and could afford slaves to do everything for you. That fact held true for all individuals, so one can only imagine the difficulty trying to live a life with physical disability throughout all of this period of history. Well, we've come to the end of this episode of the All Gas No Breaks Living with Physical Disability podcast. If you like the podcast and want to hear more, please subscribe to us on your favorite podcast app. Also, please reach out to us on all social media channels, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. If you get a chance, please rate and review the podcast as it helps us grow. Until next time, this is Daniel McDade signing off. Keep the hammer down and never stop moving forward. Thanks for listening and have a great day.